Good afternoon, my friends. Happy Wednesday. The doctor is in the house. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez. I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician practicing at Edward Hospital in Naperville, Illinois. Welcome back. I tell you what, the, the build-up for this show has been awesome. I mean, super intense. We're talking today about the best sleep ever. And I tell you what, if you're like me out there, you love your sleep. You know you got to get some sleep. The reality is that we are in a kind of a chronically sleep-deprived society. Some of us can get what we need to get, some of us can't. So I'm so excited to welcome you guys back here with To Your Health with Dr. G. We're going to be breaking this down. I have my exclusive interview today with Dr. Juan Flores. You're going to meet him in a few moments. But I'm so excited talking about awesome topics and sleep. Oh, my gosh. I had to use my son's pillow the other day when I did a promo for the show. A little dinosaur pillow. It was great. Chomp, chomp. And I tell you what, sleep is so important. As, as Dr. William DeMint said, you're not healthy unless your sleep is healthy. Welcome back again. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. Hey, we're here broadcasting live at Intellectual Radio Studios, and we're having just a great time. So before we get into the show today, again, best sleep ever, i got to hit you with a quick disclaimer. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So here we are today, talking about the best sleep ever. And I have to give a quick shout out to my wife, Tiffany E.R. Gomez, who uh, helped me craft this topic. But it's so important as a primary care physician, as an internist. I mean, we talk about sleep, and I know Dr. Flores is going to give us his thoughts in a few moments. But again, sleep is so important. But remember that sleep is such a comp it's a complex process. It's a complex process that is restorative in nature. And I don't want people to forget about that. Again, I always say your health is your wealth, but I might start saying your sleep is your wealth. And the reality of the situation is that when we're not sleeping, other things can happen. We've talked a little bit about, on my lead up to the show, about the negative impacts of sleep on health. We're going to get into that in a little bit. We're going to answer questions, kind of common thoughts that are out there, things that people ask me, and I'm sure things that, that uh, patients ask Dr. Flores about sleep and everything. But we're going to talk about the scenarios around sleep. We're going to talk about just how to make your sleep better if we can. And hopefully, at the end of the day, you get better sleep. You're going to be better to attack the next day in your life and your well-being. So I'm so excited to have this show. So what I want to do, for those of you that are new to the show, what I do each week is I interview uh, experts in the field, people at the top of their game and what they do for health. And, I, and believe me this, the people that I've had on my show, they want you to be successful with your health. When you have success with your health, you're more than likely to have success in your life. And so the people that we have on are super passionate about what they do, and they want you to do the best that you can. And at the end of the day, even though Dr. Flores and I are going to be talking about sleep today and a lot of things about sleep, I want you to talk to your physician. That's the most important thing that you can do. Have that conversation with that, that doctor in your life, somebody that can help you out and show you the ropes and hopefully get you practical solutions. Again, your sleep is your wealth. Why not? I like that. All right, so I want to introduce my first guest, basically my only guest. There it is, isn't it? my first and only guest because he's so awesome to me. Uh, I want to tell you a quick background story. Dr. Flores and I have known each other for basically about 20 years. I'm letting the cat out of the bag. He and I were at Loyola together and everything, but I'll let him explain that in a few moments. But I want to welcome Dr. Juan Flores. Let me read his credentials. Dr. Juan Flores, he's double board certified in pulmonology, critical care medicine, and sleep medicine. He's with DuPage Medical Group. Check him out, www.dupagemedicalgroup.com. He's also the medical director of the Edwards Sleep Center, available at www.eehealth.org. 
Dr. Flores, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the welcome. Uh, it's uh, it's good seeing you. It's, we don't we don't get to see each other quite as often. I, I know. Anymore. Ever since I stopped rounding at the hospital, sorry about their patients out there for me. I guess <laughs> I don't round in the hospital anymore. But I see Dr. Flores all the time. We spend our days at Loyola together, walking yeah. in the hallways, and I remember those days getting pimped on like internal medicine rounds and everything like that. Yeah. But uh, but um, it makes you stronger, I guess. And here we are today, all these years later. Right. And it's right. been it's been a pleasure for me to watch your practice grow. You've taken care of many of my patients over the years, and they have awesome things to say about you. But 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 you just are so good at what you do. And so when I was coming up with this idea, and I reached out to you, I go, okay, Juan, we got to get this show going on, talking about sleep. So I'm excited to have you here. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Um, obviously, I let the I told everybody that you went to Loyola, but but you can go ahead and say that again. So where'd you go for medical school, uh, um, residency, and then doing your fellowship? Sure. So, well, first of all, I grew up in uh, Minneapolis, and uh, I went to college in New Orleans, uh, Loyola, New Orleans. Came up here for uh, medical school at Loyola, Chicago, and I stayed on for residency and fellowship. So I was in the Loyola health system for, for 10 years. They are. <laughs> and uh, and um, finished that up in... Uh, 2008, so I've been out for about 11 years now, uh, and I've been primarily at Edward uh, through yeah. DuPage Medical Group and also through the Edward Medical Center uh, pretty much my entire career. It's been, uh, it's been a great opportunity for me. Excellent. Well, so such a pleasure to have you on here. Why don't you just give us a little bit, just a few opening remarks about, about sleep. You know, you know, this is obviously something that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. You oversee the Edward uh, Sleep Center. Um, but give us a few words, it's just like a few opening statements about why sleep is so important to people. Well, so there are very few things that um, we spend a third of our life doing, right? So whether you're looking at uh, from infancy all the way till the day that we die, uh, sleep is, uh, is something that we, that we do all the time. There are very few things in life that are so integral to your body being able to work the way that it should. Um, it, all the way from your internal organs to your psyche. Uh, and so when you think about something that can have that sort of impact on anybody's life, uh, yeah, it's hugely important. You know, it, it, So I kind of stumbled upon uh, the specialty of sleep medicine because when I was going through my pulmonology fellowship, sleep medicine was uh, a mandatory uh, part of it, mostly because a lot of the sleep pathology that we deal with is sleep disordered breathing, obstructive sleep apnea, things of that nature. And so initially, I, it was not intention uh, when, when I first started my training, but I really did fall in love with it. And uh, now that's a big portion of my practice on a, on a day to day basis. Well, that is awesome. I mean, I just love hearing this. And then you get my one my patients have come through your office yep. and you've met them, they are so grateful that we can try to get their health back on the right track. And I think that's us as, as clinicians, as physicians, uh, trying to provide service and provide care so people can live their best lives and live their lives with dignity, respect, and just, just doing well with their families and their loved ones. So that's awesome. So now that you guys met Dr. Flores, what I want to do every week on the show, we always talk about what's called the chief complaint. So the chief complaint is when somebody comes into the office, they ask you, you know, you ask them as a clinician, what are you doing here for? But what, how can we help? How can we serve? And the person comes in complaining of whatever condition it is. So the chief complaint, a.k.a. the question of the hour is, 
There are evidence-based connections between sleep and health. So how do we improve our sleep habits, especially through lifestyle changes? So again, Dr. Flores and I are going to try to break this down for you out there. What I want you guys to do out there, uh, anybody that you know that, that has a sleep disorder, anybody that wants to get more sleep or better sleep, I want you to share the show. Share this message with others. Again, we have to have this collective engagement to really move the measuring tape, to, to just really make those those gains that we all want from a health perspective. So share the show. I urge you to do it. And again, the best sleep ever. So before we just dive into this sleep a little bit more, I just want to ask Dr. Flores this question because I ask this to everybody that comes on the show. Um, and this is more just a general observation from your part, but we know we're mired in, uh, in a lot of chronic medical conditions. The chronic disease burden in this country is astronomical, and it's not going to go down anytime soon. So just from a general standpoint as a physician, you know, what do you think we need to be doing from a general standpoint to kind of try to take a stab at reducing chronic disease burden? What should we be doing, just generally speaking? You know, truly, that I think it's actually quite a lot more simple than what uh, it's made out to be. Uh, I think if you do, don't smoke, if you're able to keep your weight in check, if you exercise somewhat regularly, uh, and if you're able to get adequate sleep, I can assure you, you will live much longer than those that don't. And that doesn't require a single pill. It requires fairly infrequent doctor visits. Um, if you can do just those handful of things, uh, you're already way ahead of the game. That is awesome. And, I, and you know, I'll pay back on that. What I tell my patients all the time, uh, I say, you know, uh, move more, eat better, stress less, and sleep more. If we can do that... Uh, and none sure. of that requires any kind of pill, I agree with you. And then we can make so much change. Again, we still know that uh, the biggest things that, that do people in heart disease and cancer, but when you look at the actual causes that lead to that, again, we think about, as you said, smoking, uh, poor diet, and lack of physical activity. Those are the reasons, really, that drive those burdens. So, again, but the only way to move the, that needle is to have these conversations. So I'm glad we're here today, and I'm going to ask that question to all my docs. So thanks for answering it. So here we go. So we're going to break down sleep for you. And how this kind of is, when I was kind of coming up with some of these questions, I was thinking about a lot of my patients that I've seen in my practice that I have ultimately gone on to see Dr. Flores, but also as a primary care doctor, we see a lot of things on the front line. So I want to talk about a lot of common things. We're going to talk about why is sleep important, how can people get more sleep, you know, how much sleep do people need? Those kind of things. We're going to try to try to break that down for you as best as we can. Um, you know, again, stages of sleep. We'll talk about some barriers to sleep. And hopefully, how can people get more sleep? So we're going to talk about this kind of stuff. So I'm excited to break this down. Of course, I have saved for you out there an awesome myths versus facts where I'm actually going to participate this time. Usually, I have my guests participate. I pick on them. But actually, Dr. Flores and I are going to do kind of a back-to-back. -back, and I'm just going to just kind of shoot down that list. And I'm actually excited. I've actually prepped myself for myths versus facts this week. But I do every week as well too so here we go all right so uh dr flores let's do this why don't we why don't we just break this down in simple simply why is sleep important well it's uh important in a variety of reasons uh, during sleep we're able to process memories we're able to um, get rid of memories that we don't need uh, during sleep uh, our body heals, we, uh, uh, our internal organs heal, uh, so I, it becomes such, a, such an integral part of how we uh, are able to carry our day-to-day -day life. Uh, without sleep, you begin to see uh, mul multiple organs begin to dysfunction, uh, 
if there's a long enough period without sleep, it becomes literally torture. Um, and so why is sleep important? I mean, you know, I think uh, historically people have looked at sleep as a variety of uh, different things, you know, where we're going into kind of an ethereal world or... Uh, but in reality, it's just it gives our body the ability to shut down and, uh, and heal. And when you look at even very, very elementary organisms uh, like amoebas, they have something akin to that. Um, so all the way from basic animals to, to microbes and, and obviously humans, we need that period of time to be able to heal, not just psychologically, but internally. Well, I love how you say, like, the, you know, it's the reality is that the lack of sleep under, is underscored by so many um, health problems. I mean, it's, so, it's such associated with that. And, you know, we're going to talk about that in a bit because I want to really kind of break this down, hopefully organ by organ, the major organ systems that are affected because virtually every system in the body is affected by lack of sleep. You know, we live in a society where, where some of us are really good at making sleep a priority and some of us are really not so good. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff in between. There could be so many factors at play that are barriers to somebody getting good sleep. But I love how you said it's restorative. It's, it's, a, it's quintessentially uh, us, not only as humans, but as just species in general, that we have to sleep. And, and, and we want people to sleep more. I, mean, I tell it to my patients all the time. We want you to sleep more. And as a matter of fact, some research shows that those people that don't get the eight hours of sleep that's, that's typically recommended, they are, high, they are much more likely, likely to die in early death. Uh, and I see some studies quote as like you have a 12% earlier death risk. Now I'm not putting lack of sleep on the same level as smoking a ton of cigarettes every day, uh, but, but, the, but we have to have these kind of frank conversations on something that we all know that we should get more of. And again, there's some barriers that are out there that may prevent us from getting good sleep, but we all know we should get more sleep and restore the body. Well, I think that when people come in and, and talk about their sleep disorders, uh, oftentimes the thing that is just very obvious is that sleep deprivation is their main disorder. Uh, a lot of times people come in and think they uh, have way too much sleepiness during the daytime and, and they are looking for ways to improve the quality of their sleep and uh, people are coming in looking for medications to help keep them simulated. And in reality, it isn't neither uh, a need for more stimulants like caffeine or medications. And oftentimes it isn't uh, necessarily the need to improve the quality of sleep. It just simply boils down to the quantity of sleep. If you look at our society now compared to even 100 years ago, the amount of light pollution that there is is enormous. And so um, in a society where we have electricity, where we have lights running, 24-7, the average amount of sleep that we get now compared to, say, in the early 1900s and even before that, um, has gone down by over an hour and a half. We used to follow our own circadian rhythm. We would follow the night-day cycle, and, and we would sleep during uh, a large portion of the time that it's dark. We don't do that anymore. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think about our, our sympathetic systems, our Flight or fight or flight systems versus our parasympathetic parasympathetics, the rest and digest, and, and our hunter gatherer forefathers, they allowed proper time to rest and recover, and ultimately ultimately go out again doing what they needed to do. We just don't do it. You're right. We are perpetually uh, connected. I think that's a big issue that that we're doing. We're perpetually connected to our phones and whatnot, and we don't set up the right environment uh, that allows for proper sleep. And I know that's a challenge that we need to do. And 
And one of the things that I usually say as people when they, when they come in and see me, I go, well, what's your sleep environment like? You know, and I don't care about all the, the, the advertisements that are out there because, you know, people are just trying to make money. And so when you think like, oh, I need this kind of bed, or I need this kind of bed. And people will spend thousands of dollars literally on these, on these products, a new bed and all this kind of stuff. And they still can't get the sleep that they, that they need, the quality and the quantity, specifically the quantity of the sleep. So what's your take on that kind of stuff? You know, should we be just, you know, are there any kind of tricks of the trade that you might have people do? Should we, should we all be having, you know, blackout, blackout shades in our, in, our, um, in our room? Should we just get rid of our TVs? You know, what, what's your, should we throw our phones away and, and properly sleep? Well, so let me uh, preface it by saying that I totally agree with um, the whole idea of the amount of marketing that there is out there, um, kind of gimmicky tools uh, saying, well, this will be the best pillow ever. With this pillow, we assure that you'll be able to sleep, or with this bed. And, and uh, you know, certainly some of those things can make you a little bit more comfortable, but in reality, uh, when you really think about what you need for sleep, you need a, a quiet, cool, dark and comfortable environment and none of those things include a five thousand dollar bed <laughs> or a two hundred dollar pillow i mean those are luxuries that maybe can make things a little bit better but but really those are some of the basic things so in regards to the things that you should have and not have in bed televisions absolute no-nos that is uh, a lot of people come in and say you know i can't fall asleep without having ambient noise in particular i can't fall asleep without having the television on and, uh, you know, unfortunately for some people, they've conditioned themselves to that point uh, to where they really would struggle without the TV. And for them, I'll usually suggest putting a timer on. I mean, when you think about watching a television program and the commercials that come on, they intentionally change the volume and the lighting in those commercials as compared to the regular pro programming to be able to, to get your attention. I mean, these are people who are paying a lot of money in advertisement so that you're not asleep, so that you're awake and, and paying attention. And so getting rid of the TV, ideal. Getting rid of electronic devices where you're being uh, exposed to all of this bright light that suppresses our melatonin production, great idea. Uh, getting rid of uh, things that are very engaging in, uh, in the bed. I have patients who tell me they uh, check their bank accounts or read their email while they're in bed. And uh, you know, clearly these are, these are things that are anxiety provoking. So, all of those things need to be done before you even go to bed. Um, and so if you're able to, like you said, get rid of the television, um, allow yourself, yourself some time to unwind before you ever go to bed, don't allow yourself to linger in bed um, if you're not able to fall asleep right away, and you keep a comfortable environment, um, that's going to go a long ways. Excellent. You know, I always think about myself, and I try to be more intentional as I've been preparing for today's show, uh, I've been trying to be more intentional in my sleep and trying to make sure I'm not doing those things. Uh, my wife and I hardly watch TV anymore because we're just too busy doing a million other things. Um, but yes, I'm trying to be more intentional by by not turning on my phone, um, you know, turning it off or turning it upside down so like the light's not shining at me. You know, we've eliminated some extra lights that are going on. I actually sleep pretty well with a white noise machine. That's me. Uh, but, but, but yeah, we're trying to make this, and we do turn the temperature down at, at nighttime, so we do try to have that environment where hopefully it's dark. And, I, and it's interesting, I had a couple the other day that came in, a woman came in my office, and she was telling me about how her sleep is so fragmented 
uh, because her husband sleeps with the light with the TV on. Mm. And that, that ambient light certainly has, I agree, it suppresses that melatonin, and she's wide awake, she's tossing and turning. For some reason, he's conditioned because he's sound asleep. So she goes to the point she's like, Dr. G, I'm about to move into the guest room in my own house. And I said, hey, you got to do what you got to do. But you, your husband should actually move to that guest room because, uh, again, you're the boss of the house. So you should get the master bedroom and kick him out into the guest room and let him do his thing there. But, but, uh, but, but th that's a reality. And sometimes it's a, it's a struggle with couples. And then the person that doesn't get sleep, they are irritable the next day. They can't focus. They, they, they might have, like, feel like they're on edge. You know, that some, from a physical standpoint, their blood pressure might be high, mm -hmm. blood sugar levels might be high. They might just feel like all this kind of stress that's going on because they're properly restored. And so that's awesome that you're bringing that down. Let me ask you this question. Um, so, you know, we're talking about, you know, I want to pick back on what you said. You know, one of the things you talked about the environment, you know, uh, a little bit colder, so to speak. It was very interesting that, and I don't think a lot of people know this, but, but, but one of the recommendations that we do is certainly to say, turn the thermostat down. Have you seen any kind of numbers that will say how low do you turn it down to? So that is a very subjective okay. thing, but I think certainly below 68 degrees um, uh, Fahrenheit is, is uh, a comfortable environment where you're not so cold that you'll, uh, you know, that you'll shiver or you'll be uncomfortable, but you're comfortable enough to where, um, so, I mean, let me kind of back up a little bit. Our body temperature changes during the night. Yes. Um, uh, cortisol levels fluctuate, our, our uh, body temp uh, temperature lowers and drops during the night. And uh, so our body's already kind of doing its own thing, even in spite of what your environment is like. But because there are fluctuations, if your room is a little bit on the warm side and in the early morning hours your temperature begins to climb, you'll begin to sweat and then that's going to lead to awakenings. And oftentimes in the early morning hours, it's hard to fall back asleep. And so by ensuring that your room temperature is below that threshold where you actually feel warm during those fluctuations in your sleep, I think that that, that, uh, that can make a difference. Excellent. One of the things I talk, to, talk about to my patients, I uh, talk about some pillars to get proper sleep. And so some of the things I say, I'll say, hey, you got to prepare your sleep, prepare, prepare yourself. You got to piggyback on what Dr. Flores says. The environment's got to be there. And then the timing of that. Let me ask you this question because people probably might ask you this. Is there like a proper time that people should be going to sleep in general? Or is it more just depending on the person? Uh, what's your take on that? So there's definitely timing that goes into it. And I think that we try to alter that timing because of life circumstances, having to work a second shift and so on. But if we really just allowed our body to kind of do its thing, um, when uh, the sun goes down, we begin to release melatonin, which stimulates uh, sleep. And so it becomes uh, natural for us to transition into sleep, typically within an hour or two of it getting dark out. Now, I know that it isn't necessarily feasible sometimes, but yeah, I mean, our body definitely will have these cues. and. Uh, there's something that we talk about in regards to sleep debt. Um, that's something that occurs um, from the minute that you wake up in the morning till you go back to bed. And so when we wake up in the morning, assuming we're well rested, during the period of wakefulness as the day goes on, we create, we become more fatigued. That fatigue we could call sleep, uh, sleep debt. Um, and so as that sleep debt goes up, there is a critical threshold that we will hit where our body just is ready to give in and go to sleep. 
and usually that coincides uh, very closely with what our circadian rhythm is doing. And so what ends up happening is that if you do go to sleep, the sleep debt goes down very quickly, and as that's going down, our melatonin levels are going up very rapidly. So the second half of the night, we're able to stay asleep as a, as a result of, of uh, peaking melatonin levels until they finally both go down enough to where we have a spontaneous awakening. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I love that love that breakdown. I know uh, one of the things that I understand a lot more is, is as I've been preparing for the show is, is you know, obviously the, those hormones, those, well, well, let me take a step back. You know, we're talking about a very complex regulated system by your brain uh, that affects your sleep and wake cycles. And, but, but of course, sleep itself is very, is rather instantaneous. We, we're not really, we're conscious one moment and unconscious or uh, uh, lose consciousness because we're asleep the next moment, so it's very instantaneous, but the, the process is so complex. And, and, and when I think about sleep-wake cycles, you know, yes, we want to make sure these, our melatonin levels, as Dr. Flores saying, is high. You know, some people may try to take melatonin, we'll talk, might talk about that in a second. Uh, you want those cortisol levels, those adrenaline levels to come down. Those are things that kind of stimulate the uh, cerebral cortex, the, the brain that keeps you awake. And we want this to be balanced out. But it's, it's, as you said, it's so much more, you know, when we start saying, okay, it's time to go to sleep, sometimes it's not feasible. You know, the average adult, you know, typically how our bodies are designed, I think, you know, we're awake 16 hours a day and we should be asleep eight hours a day. Uh, but again, that's not as feasible. But, 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 but you can't, like, stop, like, your circadian, your rhythm, you know, your natural flow of things in the body. It's hard to sometimes fight against it. So you're saying, again, when there's cues, we should probably listen to those cues. Correct. Absolutely. And, you know, there are a lot of strategies when it comes to just good sleep hygiene that you can do in, able, uh, in order to allow your body to do that. You know, uh, there are certain things that we can do that are great for us but are terrible for sleep. Like, for example, uh, if you were to exercise vigorously right before bed, well, you know, exercise increases your cardiac output, it increases blood flow, it uh, causes you to release things that, that uh, in essence, stimulate your endorphins. And uh, so is exercise good? Yes. Is exercise uh, good for sleep? Yes. Is exercise immediately before sleep good? Absolutely not. Um, so there are things that you have to do to, to kind of uh, shape your life uh, style around when you're going to get sleep. Well, I know the hardest thing is, is, is really trying to find that time because again, we know we have to, we know, we know we should be sleeping, but again, for people that are busy out there, they're busy parents, and they've got, maybe they're doing school uh, late while they're doing a lot of things, take care of children, what whatnot, working different shifts, it can really kind of throw things out of whack. And especially I think about some of my patients, and you've seen those patients, the patients that work late shifts because that's how they got to do it mm -hmm. and, and get through the grind and do, and do what they got to do for, for their living. Um, and then to go home, at daytime, when you have a lot of light that stimulates you know, wakefulness, that can be a bit of a challenge. And it's interesting when they're at nighttime, well, I mean, maybe it's when they get in that environment, in that work environment, because all the light, they're awake at three in the morning. But, but it really kind of disrupts things because they're not getting the, 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 the darkness that we need to have that helps maintain those melatonin levels. Yeah, I mean, people who work the third shift um, oftentimes can go on to develop something called shift toward sleep disorder, which is a circadian rhythm disorder. And uh, some people are able to adjust over the course of time by really making a conscious effort to change their lifestyle. But a lot of people, even in spite of their best effort, are still not able to do that. And for those people, it can be pretty devastating. They can develop weight gain. They can develop hypertension. 
uh, they can develop mood disorders, um, and oftentimes they require medications to either stimulate them while they're uh, awake working or, or to get them down to help them sleep. And that's, uh, that's also a really difficult pattern to get into of the uppers and downers throughout the, throughout the day just to be able to function. Do you try to, when you see your patients in your practice, do you try to obviously go a, a non-pharmacologic route oh, before you go into a pharmacologic route? A hundred percent. I mean, I, we should do absolutely everything we can to correct whatever sleep pathology there is before we ever lean on pharma, pharmacologic therapy for a lot of reasons. Uh, medications that we use, even though they can be helpful, are oftentimes habit-forming. Uh, they have side effects. Uh, and as more and more research comes out, the more we find out that people are ho who are on some of these medications long-term can actually have negative consequences permanently. And so, yeah, that, for me, medications are truly kind of a last resort. Very well. Let me, let's break this down. Uh, you know, we're talking about sleep and the impact on the body because, again, it affects every organ system in the body. So let's talk a little bit about some of the negative impacts that we see on sleep. So, you know, we'll kind of maybe tag team this a little bit because I like this as well, too. Yeah. So why don't we start, like, from, like, and I'll kind of give my perspective from an internal medicine perspective and what I see, but we'll start out um, with the circulatory system. So things that I see, of course, um, blood pressure, I mean, without a doubt, uh, uh, faster, faster heart rates, but also we see a lot of vascular issues. Um, you know, certainly lack of sleep uh, increases risk for cardiovascular disease, uh, heart attack and stroke. And so, you know, we're talking about, which of course is the number one cause of death in, uh, worldwide is cardiovascular disease. And so we want to make sure that, hey, if you want to minimize your risk for a heart attack, stroke, hypertension, uh, uh, things like that, you got to get good sleep. So let me ask you this one. Let's just switch systems. All right, what's your take on sleep and lung health? Since you are a pulmonologist by trade, sure. uh, have, have you seen any kind of connection between sleep and lung health at all? So yes, absolutely. There, there, um, there are several connections, but I think it would be kind of important to uh, differentiate the, the pathology in sleep that we're talking about. If we're talking about uh, sleep deprivation and the problems that go with that, you can go down one avenue. Um, if you're talking about sleep disorder breathing, like obstructive sleep apnea or complex sleep apnea, that has its own set of secondary problems. And so um, when it comes to uh, pulmonary health, I mean, you have increased blood flow through your lungs during sleep um, because the blood vessels tend to relax more. The heart doesn't have to struggle as much to pump blood through your circulation, including your pulmonary circulation. Um, and so in that sense, uh, there's a correlation. Uh, there's also a correlation in things like, for example, asthma, where uh, people can have more frequent asthma exacerbations during the night for a variety of different hormonal changes that occur within the body. Um, and then leaning towards the obstructive sleep apnea part of it, uh, in obstructive sleep apnea, of course, your airway is not able to stay open, your upper airway, so you're not able to breathe adequately. So then you have pretty big fluctuations in your oxygen levels as your body tries to recover from each pause in breathing. Um, and so then, of course, that can then bring on other problems. Excellent. I want to take digestive. So a lot of people ask me, again, what's the difference with how to sleep related to the digestive system? You know, um, we see lack of sleep, uh, sleep. We see sleep deprivation manifest itself as overweight and obesity. I think that is a big thing. Um, and so you make uh, two hormones, uh, leptin 
and ghrelin, or some people say ghrelin, I don't know how they say it, but I call it ghrelin, and leptin, these are your hunger hormones. And so leptin, uh, of course, uh, it's, it, it's a hormone made, tells the brain that it's had enough to eat, while ghrelin uh, increases your appetite. When you have a lack of sleep, these kind of things reverse, and so you, you won't control it, you won't have that signal to stop eating. A lot of people that, are over, that, that, don't let, that lack sleep um, or have a perpetual sleep disorder, they want to be over, overeating, higher calorie consumptions. That, of course, leads to higher insulin levels. And, of course, we're talking about risk for type 2 diabetes. And so, yes, I tell people this. If you want to have a good um, uh, appearance and try to minimize your risk for, for overweight or obesity or you start gaining weight and you're noticing that your sleep is off, uh, I definitely tell people to make sure that they talk to their doctor and try to get some good sleep because that might be something that is really driving that process of the lack of sleep. Uh, Dr. Flores, what's your take on sleep and maybe skin, dermatologic? Have you seen anything? There, there are some things. To piggyback on the, on the GI symptoms, because that's actually one of my favorite things to kind of talk about. Acid reflux, as an example, is a very common Please. disorder. Uh, people, uh, Some people have irritable bowel syndrome, uh, other inflammatory bowel conditions. And when people are sleep de deprived, uh, we know that there are a number of different inflammatory markers that will go up. As I mentioned earlier, sleep is when our body heals. When our body isn't given that opportunity, inflammatory markers go up and they can actually impact your bowel health. Uh, people who have irritable bowel syndrome are much more prone to have um, IBS attacks when they're in periods of chronic sleep deprivation. And in regards to acid reflux, obstructive sleep apnea can actually lead to acid reflux. And sometimes I'll see a patient who comes in, turns out they have sleep apnea. We don't even talk about reflux. We treat Fair them. Enough. And they come in and they say, you know what? Yeah, I, I feel great. But by the way, I, my reflux went away. So there, there, there's a really strong correlation there. So going back to skin, so I just uh, yeah, no, I like that. That's, that's one of my favorite. I was actually going to piggyback uh, real quick off of what you said when you talk <laughs> about inflammatory markers and, and, and proteins that we make called cytokines uh, that are really, really protective when it comes to your immune system. So we see a lot of people that have sleep deprivation and they're not maybe secreting some of these, these uh, protective uh, uh, proteins and they actually have increased risk for uh, immune system dysfunction. So... So we're talking about fighting infection or fighting inflammation, and even in relation to the gut, it makes perfect sense. So along the same lines, yeah. because of the same kind of pathology there, uh, people who have, for example, atopic dermatitis, which is just uh, um, kind of like an inflammatory rash-like condition that uh, people can develop that can be pretty debilitating. There, there's, uh, it's unsightly. It, it can sometimes be painful. Um, uh, you have to scratch a lot, and uh, so that is definitely uh, something that will flare up in the setting of poor sleep or lack of sleep for the same uh, reason, because of the same inflammatory pathway that your body experiences. Excellent. You know, one of the other kind of dermatologic things that I see, and I've certainly seen it manifest myself, but, but you know, lack of sleep leads to uh, leads to signs of aging. There's mm -hmm. no doubt if people really, sure. really uh, care about their skin, they may get breakouts, they may get uh, fine lines, wrinkles, accelerate the aging process. So, you know, skin needs to heal, too, while you're sleeping as well, too. So for those of you out there that are caring about your skin, you know, make sure your sleep is important. I think most dermatologists that I've talked to over the over the years, they say, yes, sleep is an important thing. You don't think about that in dermatology. For sure. Yeah. What's your take on sleep? Have you seen anything with sleep in relation to, like, reproductive health? And, or even, like, men, um, you know, libido, things like that, men, women. Have you seen anything like that? Sure. So... 
testosterone, which is the male hormone that um, allows us to have a normal libido uh, and function uh, normally, uh, can go down significantly when you're sleep deprived or when you have other uh, sleep problems like, again, sleep apnea or, or other conditions that will fragment your sleep. And so um, one of the very common telltale signs uh, of somebody who is young and otherwise healthy but is experiencing erectile dysfunction could be that their sleep is terrible and as a result testosterone levels are low and they're just not able to perform. So I've seen those kind of cases for sure. my young men that have come in and we check their levels and they are low and we go back and say, how's your sleep? sleep? And they'll say the sleep is horrible. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when they say, well, I just don't feel like I'm in the mood, there's no doubt that correlation's there. I just say, if you sleep better, things should help restore. And then over time, you know, some guys will come in, well, I want to, should I be taking testosterone? I go, no, you should actually just be getting better sleep. Uh, and a quick plug to my show that I did a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, that testosterone show, Myths, Facts, and Other Realities, it's available on demand on my website, as well as on all your podcasting apps. Uh, so, um, but I also say when it comes to reproductive stuff, um, there's been case reports of women uh, uh, having infertility, infertility challenges, for sure. and certainly the decreased libido thing, I think that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty explainable but across both sexes. So there are some hormonal changes that can happen naturally that can also impact the quality of sleep. Uh, so for example, in women, as they go into the pre-menopausal state and once they go through menopause and they don't release as much estrogen and progesterone, that um, in and of itself will cause fragmentations in sleep, not only because of hot flashes and things that are more common, but also because uh, um, as estrogen and progesterone goes down, it can actually make the tissues in the back of the throat more lax. So it can actually increase the incidence of sleep apnea. And so uh, I'd say at least once a week I'll see a lady who'll come in and say, you know, I used to snore once in a blue moon and I felt refreshed, went through my changes, my weight is about the same, but now my husband's telling me that I snore a lot more and I'm tired all the time. And what occurred there was just normal physiologic changes which are now causing a sleep disturbance. Wow. Uh, so that is something that we see uh, quite frequently. Well, too. awesome. Last thing I'll say, and we're not covering all this, but I want to talk one more system that, there. Uh, those of you out, that are out there that love to have the physique, the look, the muscular approaches, we certainly see sleep deprivation manifest that way. Uh, again, your body needs growth hormone uh, when you're resting properly. Sleeping. You need growth hormone to help stimulate recovery of muscles and certainly helping to aid in, build, in building musculature. So you'll see people that, uh, that are not getting enough sleep and certainly, I mean, we haven't even talked about this, maybe we should get into this, but when you get into some of, those, uh, some of the deeper stages of sleep where you start really promoting a lot of growth hormone, I believe it's in the, that, uh, uh, the stage three, uh, before you get to stage three non-REM sleep, but you start making a lot of hormone that's very restorative and recovery-based. So I tell people that are out there trying to have a physique, muscular development, you've got to be sleeping properly. For sure. I mean, each one of uh, the stages of sleep has its own thing going on. And uh, when you do uh, sleep studies and you actually observe people transitioning from one to the other, the physiologic changes that you expect 
actually happen every time. Oh, it's wow. just amazing. It's, it's, uh, it's a very predictable thing. But I like how it's, it's all roped in again, <clears throat> going back to like sleep is so important, so we just don't get enough of it. So let me ask this question. Let's transition a little bit. And everybody, hey, you're listening here live at Intellectual Radio. We're on Facebook and everything. Uh, I want to get into this section before we start to get into some myths versus facts. But, you know, so people are asking, like, what's the solution for me? How can I do this right? And so how do you start coaching your patients? You know, you get a sleep history. How do you start coaching them to start implementing certain changes to their lifestyle to, uh, or their environment or their timing or, or anything like that? How do, you, how do you do that when a lot of us are facing a lot of barriers? So I think that uh, one thing that we have to kind of accept when we see patients, and it's even applicable for ourselves, is that we are typically not very honest with ourselves regarding <laughs> what we're doing and, and the quality of, its, uh, of sleep and the amount of sleep that we allow ourselves. And so I encourage people to uh, keep a sleep log. And so with that, it doesn't mean that you're writing down every single thing throughout the day, but it gives you an idea of approximately what time you're going to bed, what time you're getting up, whether your sleep was fragmented or not during the night. Um, if it was, uh, what was it that woke you up? Was it that you had to go to the restroom? And also what led, uh, what was occurring before you went to bed? Did you have alcohol that night? Uh, how much caffeine did you consume? Did you eat late that night? Was that a day that you exercised or you didn't exercise? And so you may not be able to tease out patterns from looking at one or, or two or three days, but if you look at a 30-day a block, you actually begin to identify a lot of patterns that you say, you know what, on the day where I, I, I did not consume alcohol, I maybe um, had one caffeinated beverage earlier in the day and I exercised in the afternoon, I actually slept a ton <laughs> slept better. like a baby, yeah. Right. On the day that I had... Uh, you know, some wine and pizza right before I went to bed. And, uh, you know, the next day I had to have a few cups of coffee. I had a series of days where I slept terrible. Um, and so it, it becomes, in that regard, almost kind of like common sense. They come in and they actually tell me, yeah, actually, this is what I need to do to make my, my sleep better. I like that idea. You know, I'll be honest, I have not implemented a, a proper sleep log in my practice. I think that's why I send people over to you to do that to do that for for me. But but no, that's something that I know I can take away from today and just talking with you about ways that we can help coach people through this process. And it's a process. And I think if anybody's out there that's looking for instant uh, returns again, going back to some people that say, "Well, I just need a medicine. I just need to sleep. I just need a medicine." You know, you know that's not necessarily the answer. And and, and we got to tease this out more. But I think sometimes we don't want to put in the work. To do a log, maybe it just depends on the person. Maybe time consuming, but maybe not. May not be. But people have to. If two they minutes. Want to get a day. Two minutes. Okay, so it's not time consuming. You just heard <laughs> it from Dr. Flores. Uh, but but people have to be willing to put in some some effort to hopefully get the return on that investment instead of our society of instant gratifications because we want people to have proper restorative sleep naturally. Uh, so, uh, you know, I recognize that there's some barriers out there. So uh, let me go through a couple of barriers because these are some things that I come into, but I want to pick your brain since I got you here. What do you say to people, you know, people that have barriers like, like pain, for example? You know, how does somebody sleep if they have, like, legitimate pain? How do you kind of coach those patients that may come through your practice? Yeah, pain is a huge problem. Arthritic pain, back pain, chronic headaches, and uh, that is a very, very legitimate uh, reason for sleep fragmentation and, and awakenings or, or simply inability to stay in bed for long periods of time. And, uh, you know, if it's something that can be um, improved on, like, for example, if you have uh, arthritic pain, 
There are medications that are effective in helping to control that. Sometimes it requires seeing some of our colleagues like within physical therapy or the orthopedic department. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not a pain expert and certainly right now we're in the midst of an opioid epidemic and so I would never encourage just to mask the pain by taking pain meds. Um, but recognizing that pain is a problem, we need to go to the core of it and uh, see if we can either uh, improve it by uh, physical therapy, surgical intervention, non-opioid uh, pain medications. Uh, yeah, I think it really takes a village. You know, we have to have that multidisciplinary approach. So the, the first thing I tell my patients is, you know, we got to make sure we have the right people involved in your care uh, to get you living and sleeping the best possible way poss possible. So I love it. Thank you, Dr. Flores. There, there's so many, uh, there's so many barriers out there, but I want to make sure we get into myths versus facts. Uh, so myths versus facts. Here's how we do it. Each week on the show, I ask my panelists. We break down a thing, and really, it's all about building trust and delivering truth. So we're all about making sure you out there at home have the right information to be well with your health, to do to just to do better, and to make sure that at the end of the day you're living as healthy as possible and enjoying your life as much as possible. So there's a lot of misinformation out there about sleep. And so today, Dr. Flores and I are gonna to try to break this down. I actually am gonna participate a little bit in myth versus facts, but I usually don't, but that's all right. So I'm gonna kinda of give you the, the harder ones, I'm just joking, <laughs> and give me the loud balls. I'm gonna do the underhand pitches, why not? Um, myth versus facts. So here it is, myth versus facts, the best sleep ever. So I'm gonna say a statement, and then uh, I'll ask Dr. Flores to say myth or fact, maybe a few sentences why. We'll kind of do like this, a little rapid fire, myth or okay. fact and why, and I'll also participate. So here we go, Dr. Flores, you get the first one. Myth versus fact, here we go. Most adults need between seven and nine hours of sleep each night for optimum performance, health, and safety. Fact. Please explain. So when you look at the average amount of sleep that most people require, it actually falls within a kind of like a bell-shaped curve, if you can imagine it. The middle part of the curve, the real fat part of the curve, that's about 80% of uh, adults. All of us within that area are usually between seven, eight, eight and a half hours. You have 10% on one end that requires maybe six, six and a half hours, and another 10% on the other end that are nine and a half, ten hours. The majority of us are right in the middle, so that is a fact. All right, thank you. Very well. I'm going to do this one, myth or fact. Here it is. I'm doing it for me. I'm picking this one, so it's an easy one. Turning up the radio opening the window or turning on the air conditioner are effective ways to stay awake when driving. So I'm going to say that's somewhere in the middle, but I'm probably going to say more myth, and I'll tell you why. Um, you should not be driving if you're sleepy. And so uh, that is puts up for a very dangerous scenario. So even if you find yourself turning up the radio or opening the window, turning on the air conditioner, you know, those are not replacements for getting proper sleep. So I would say that let's let's address the sleep issue, the sleep deprivation issue, and hopefully you don't have to go to those resorts. And those resorts that are out there, and let's be honest, I've all, we've all done it. We've done some cross-country drives in my family. I try to do some of that stuff and I'm still sleepy. So there, I'm going to say that's a myth. All right. Pull over. <laughs> Pull over. Oh, I like that. Pull over. Pull over. And sleep. We, we encourage people, if you're getting to the point where you need strong stimulation just to be able to stay awake, the process of staying awake is not enough to be able to stay alert. Um, and so if you're at that point, you need to pull over and take a nap. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Flores. Here we go. Myth or fact. Uh, here's a statement. Snoring is not harmful. That is a myth. Please explain. <laughs> so snoring can be an uh, early sign or, or a sign of a condition called obstructive sleep apnea 
which uh, uh, is fairly well recognized uh, now, but it can lead to a variety of different problems, sleep fragmentation, fatigue, all sorts of uh, cardiovascular problems. But even in people who don't have sleep apnea, the vibrations from the snoring can actually be harmful as far as causing swelling in the upper airway to the uvula, uh, not to mention that the bed partner may not be happy about the snoring. Would you say, let me just piggyback on that one, would you say that um, sleep apnea is an underdiagnosed condition in this country? Absolutely. 29% of uh, the adult population has some degree of obstructive sleep apnea. And do we know how many people are actually getting sleep studies <laughs> to confirm that? Probably uh, uh, just a, a fraction. Uh, yeah, just a fraction of that. <laughs> so, fair enough. Thank you, Dr. Flores. Hey, I'm, hey, more people probably should get this. I know we haven't had time to really get into the deep the deep nature of sleep studies. Maybe we'll do that ne next time. So, here we go. Let's keep this going on. Myth versus facts. We'll do a handful more of these. I guess, I guess I'm up next one. So, here we go. Here's a statement. Naps do not make up for chronic sleep loss or poor quality nighttime sleep. I'm going to say that is a fact. Naps do not make up for it. And I tell you what this, um, the research shows that your nap should be no longer than 30 minutes long. Why did I say that? Because if you're longer than 30 minutes, and I know sometimes we want to have a really long nap, don't get me wrong, but longer than 30 minutes, you start getting into deeper, deeper stages of sleep, and that can actually lead to more problems down the road when you finally wake up, but you can also wake up a little bit uh, off. Uh, so we always try to say keep naps to less than 30 minutes. That's a pretty much a re reasonable recommendation. I've actually tried to test run that myself, <laughs> and I swear I'm telling my wife, Tiffany, she knows she knows this, but she's listening to us right now. I say, oh my gosh, I feel so restorative. Actually, some research has shown that a nap that lasts as little as nine minutes can be restorative. Cat naps. Uh, cat naps, there you go. Here we go, Dr. Flores, myth or fact? Many teens come to school too sleepy to learn through no fault of their own. Fact. Please explain. So the circadian rhythm in uh, teenagers and young adults is different than uh, it is for uh, older adults. Uh, so they have something called delayed sleep phase syndrome, which basically means that their own circadian rhythm wants them to stay awake later into the evening and sleep later into the night. So a lot of times those kids come in to see me because they think they have insomnia and inability to sleep. And the reality is they can sleep. They would just like to sleep between 1 a.m. and 9 a.m. Gotcha. <laughs> and, you know, society doesn't allow for that. So there are some internal cues that trigger that. Now, that's also perpetuated by their habits of Xbox and social media and all the other stuff. But it is a fact. Thank you. Here we go. I've got this one. This is me. All right. Uh, let me pick an easy one here for you. Just joking. Here we go. <laughs> I keep saying that, but you guys get what I'm just saying. Here we go. Uh, health problems such as obesity, diabetes, hypertension, and depression are unrelated to the amount of and quality of a person's sleep. I actually would say that's a myth. They are very much related to it. As we talked about, every body system is affected by uh, lack of sleep. So we want to make sure that we're getting proper sleep to minimize your risk of getting things like obesity, diabetes, hypertension, and depression. Here we go, Dr. Flores. Myth or fact? I like this one. The older you get, the fewer hours of sleep you need. Myth. Please explain. Myth. So... Uh, older adults also have circadian rhythm changes and so these are the advanced uh, sleep phase syndrome. These are the ones that want to go to bed at 7.30 or 8 but get up at 4 in the morning. This is the whole reason behind the early bird specials and everything. Um, so, but joking, <laughs> joking aside, awesome. they, they uh, oftentimes may not be able to sleep a full 7, 8 or 9 hours in one haul 
but um, when you look at the amount of sleep that they get in summation over the course of 24 hours, oftentimes it does add up to about the same amount of sleep. So they may only get six and a half hours in one block and then have to get up, but then they are able to get a portion of sleep later in the day. Excellent. I'll do this last one. I'm giving myself a law ball. Here it is. When insomnia symptoms occur more than a few times per week and impact a person's daytime functions, that individual should discuss these symptoms with their doctor. That is an absolute fact. There it is, my shameless plug. Come in and see me or come in and see Dr. Flores for more diagnostics. So, Dr. Flores, we've, have, we've got about five minutes left, and it's been a great show. And like, it's like the time's gone by so fast. I'm like, wow, time's almost over. But it's been a great show talking about sleep. And I know we didn't get to cover everything there, and so I want you guys to stay tuned on some things. I'll be, probably be dropping some more uh, clues and more uh, tidbits of wisdom. Uh, online and everything, but Dr. Flores, it's been a great pleasure having you here today. My pleasure. So I want to do this. You know, we talked at the beginning, the chief complaint, why somebody comes into your office to see you. We're talking everything sleep today. And when somebody leaves, of course, we call it the assessment and plan, and that's when certainly we, we render a diagnosis, we render a treatment plan, and most importantly, we say have a follow-up. So Dr. Flores, it's true. Dr. Flores, bring us home a little bit. Can you give us like maybe a couple key takeaway, takeaway points for those people out there that are listening to us to try to be more successful when it comes to getting their best sleep ever? Sure, so I, I think, like I mentioned earlier, yeah, being honest with yourself and getting an idea of what's really happening, making sure that your sleep environment is comfortable, and also realizing that there are some uh, sleep problems that are well beyond uh, your own individual control. I mean, there are conditions like obstructive sleep apnea, restless leg syndrome, um, uh, limb movement disorders in the middle of, in the middle of the night that cause sleep fragmentation that you can't fix on your own and so if despite your best effort you're not feeling well don't ignore it because oftentimes the first sign of trouble is something that we can no longer uh, improve heart attack or whatever else excellent well dr Flores, it's been a great time having you here today my final thoughts are this so you know we've been talking about sleep and, and really the biggest issue i have is i just want you to make sure that you have frank and honest conversations with your doctor you know we want you to do the best that you can sleep is so important we don't get enough if you're having any troubles with your sleep and trying to find the time to get the quantity of sleep, in addition to quality, because we want quality, but to get the quantity of sleep to allow for the physiologic processes to happen. If you have any troubles, please feel free to reach out to me, reach out to Dr. Flores. I'm going to read his information in a moment, but I, I reach out to your doctor. Again, this doesn't have to be an issue. If something's been going on for a while, talk about it. Remember, we're here to help you out to live your best health ever, and of course, to have your best life. By doing so, you can continue to live active and healthy and i'm so glad that we've had this discussion today so dr flores i want to thank you again for coming out today let me read his, let me read his credentials one more time because he's an excellent doc and i want you guys to check him out so dr juan flores i'm reading his credentials because of deep that's why i'm flipping the page dr juan flores double board certified in pulmonary pulmonology critical care and sleep medicine he's with dupage medical group check him out www.dupagemedicalgroup.com he's also the medical director of the edward sleep center www.eehealth.org I tell you what, this has been a great show. Make sure that you share this with others that are listening. Of course, you've been listening here and watching live on Facebook and intellectualradio.com. This episode is written by Mark D. Gomez, MD, and Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis. Copyright 2019 by MDG Wellness LLC. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for my next episode. It's going to be called Overcoming Phobias. As we get closer to Halloween, we're going to talk about it. Remember, the most important thing that you can do today is share this episode with others. We are in this together. Let's 
Let's keep this health revolution going. I'll catch you guys next week. Peace out. <laughs>